Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day and hope you're having a good day. Here's what we're going to be talking about. If you were with us yesterday, we were talking about USDA uh, releasing money uh, for market promotion programs, some of that money going to the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom, on today's show, and he'll talk about the importance of those funds and how they are put to use. Also today, a look at the ongoing controversy of moving those two research agencies from D.C. to K.C., and uh, what about the claims that it's going to weaken uh, the research information that comes out of those agencies and the challenge of filling positions, people not moving and things like that. We're going to talk about it with Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow with the International Food Policy Institute and former USDA Chief Economist. Get his thoughts on that. And we'll get a crop report from Ohio. We know that the Eastern Corn Belt has really had challenges this year and has been way behind. We'll see if they're catching up. We'll talk with a farmer just north of Columbus, Ohio, for a crop report later on. But right now, let's start things off with a check on the news. Joining us from DTN is Todd Neely. Hi, Todd. How are you? I'm good, Mike. Well, we should mention, of course, uh, big news. Anytime the White House and Congress can come to an agreement, especially the White House and the House right now, what they did on a looks like a two-year budget deal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I guess having that certainty uh, not and not really having to worry about uh, you know where we go with federal budgets. I mean, there's a lot of programs um, you know agriculture relies on, and, and to have uh, kind of a seamless move into uh, you know continuing the funding is a pretty big deal, I guess. Yeah. Well, anytime they can reach an agreement, that's that's news. It seems like, and because it's, those agreements are hard to come by. Uh, let's take a look at some right. things going on uh, that I know you've been writing about. There was a plea agreement in a biofuels fraud case in Utah. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, um, Mike, you know, a number of years ago, um, we started hearing about this case involving renewable. Actually, it's Washaki Renewable Energy, um, and it's really a long, drawn-out drama, but. The short end of it is that um, this family that was owning and operating this uh, biodiesel plant there uh, had been producing a little bit of biodiesel, but basically the conspiracy that was uncovered was that uh, they were buying biodiesel products from other companies and then passing them off as their own products. And so they would receive, you know, many millions of dollars in tax credits. Um, you know, they would they would receive a lot of a lot of money numbers in the RFS, um, and so basically, um, you know, this this, uh, this case went to, to court, and uh, it was scheduled for trial here at the end of July, uh, and there was actually a, a plea agreement reached, um, and the CEO of the company basically pled guilty to, to 41 charges, included money laundering, conspiracy fraud, a number of other things, and uh, it was interesting in the plea agreement, it outlined some of the things that he admitted to, and uh, it was quite extensive, and, um, you know, I don't know what it speaks to in terms of uh, rinse fraud. You know, we don't talk a lot about that because there's not, honestly, a lot of it going on, uh, but the, the fraud that we've seen uh, over the span of the RFS has been in biodiesel. Um, 
And so anyway, this this case, uh, as it plays out, uh, the CEO of this company faces about 30 years in prison. Meanwhile, the, the ongoing saga over these uh, small refinery exemptions continues. Uh, we know that the uh, biofuels industry uh, continues to be upset that these uh, exemptions are granted, and they want uh, reallocation of lost gallons. Meanwhile, a group of small refinery companies have told EPA Administrator Wheeler they'll sue unless the agency makes a decision on, what, some 38 pending waivers? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, EPA apparently had until the end of March to make decisions on those waivers. And as you know, uh, somewhere along the way, that's been delayed. Uh, part of that process is involving uh, EPA and even USDA looking at the waivers program. Uh, we've seen small refinery companies raise, uh, raise a big stink about that because they don't want USDA involved. Uh, you know, they view USDA as a <clears throat> as a face of agriculture in many ways, and uh, there are a lot of people in agriculture that obviously are opposed to the, to the waivers. Um, and we're at a point now where uh, they are threatening to sue, um, and that's supposedly going to happen within about 60 days. Uh, there was a letter sent last week to Wheeler from an attorney uh, making a number of claims about, uh, you know, the delay at EPA and that uh, EPA doesn't, isn't justified in, in delaying uh, the process. And so... Um, not sure that they're going to respond to that, and uh, we're going to we're gonna, maybe before uh, any court action is actually taken, maybe we're going to see uh, EPA and USDA come to some conclusion on that program. But those exemptions continue to be in the news, as does uh, the food stamp or SNAP program. I mean, that's back in the news. Is the administration proposing some cuts there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it never seems to go away. Um, you know, I think. Uh, as they look at a lot of these programs going forward, I think, uh, you know, we've seen from the Trump administration the willingness and the desire to, to make cuts across the board. You know, uh, there has been some talk that USDA has taken a disproportionate number of hits on that. But, um, yeah, it, it's really not surprising at this point that we're seeing uh, more suggestion of cuts. And I know another story that uh, has been in the news that you've been writing on, uh, EPA, uh, uh, continuing to stand by an insecticide. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've uh, seen chlorpyrifos, which has been in uh, the legal system uh, since about 2007. You know, the, the chemical is used to uh, target soybean aphids, corn rootworms, spider mites, and those sorts of pests. Uh, EPA just released a, uh, a response to what was basically objections filed years ago in this in this case. Environmentalists had sued uh, to get EPA to end uh, the registration for chlorpyrifos. Uh, and EPA continues to stand by it. Um, you know, in fact, the science continues to build that it's uh, fairly good and fairly effective, obviously. But um, I don't know that this will be the end of the challenge. Uh, we've got probably more ongoing cases uh, pending on this that are, that are going to continue to play out. And I think um, EPA is probably going to face even new cases as we go forward. The environmentalists on this side of the on this particular case, have been quite aggressive and quite persistent. Some of these stories uh, stay in the news quite a while, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yes, they do. It's hard to find a resolution to some of these issues. They are ongoing. Well, Todd, as always, thanks for uh, all, all the right. reporting you're doing at DTN, and thanks for being with us for an update. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. All right, take care, Todd. Todd Neely, reporter for 
DTN. All right, coming up next, I want to follow up on a story we had yesterday where we talked about USDA uh, releasing some uh, funding for market promotion programs. And we mentioned that one of the groups receiving some of that funding is the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We'll talk with their president and CEO, Dan Hallstrom, and learn about the importance of those funds and how they are put to use. That's coming up next right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, Waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Well, each month we get the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Uh, What's the headline from this month's report? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. The headline for the June report as we look at this being halfway through the year is, for the year, we're looking pretty good for uh, for equipment sales. But for the month of June, we saw some... uh, we saw some declines compared to where we were this time last year, and I think that's a pretty good indication of these storm clouds we've been talking about for the last few months that uh, there's a little bit of pain out there in farm country, and we recognize it, whether it's weather-related or I think there's some, there's some real hesitation for, uh, for farmers to, uh, to really make that final purchase decision on their, on their equipment in, uh, in the month of June. There's some positive in, uh, news in there, but it's still sort of that, that cautious optimism that we continue to talk about. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Department of Agriculture has awarded $100 million in commodity promotion funding. It's part of the $16 billion trade mitigation package. This funding through USDA's Agricultural Trade Promotion Program is intended to uh, help explore export opportunities for U.S. products. And one of the groups receiving funding uh, is the U.S. Meat Export Federation, $10 million in uh, this program. Uh, let's talk about it with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, good to talk with you again. Uh, tell us about the importance of this funding and how the money is used. Uh, good morning, Mike. Thank you, and thank you for having me on. Uh, yes, we are very excited about this opportunity uh, to work with USDA on these incremental funds. And uh, I would really say there's, there's two purposes for these funds. Uh, number one is... Uh, the obvious reason is to um, provide us resources to uh, really get more penetration in those markets where we've been affected by direct uh, impacts of uh, some of these issues that are going around, or trade wars, some people call them. But we have uh, headwinds in some of these markets. China is a good example uh, where we have 37% duties on beef and 62% duties on pork. Uh, Mexico for the last year had pork duties of 20%, which have since been rescinded, but uh, still we're living with the after effects of having those duties on, and we have we have lost shares. So I think that's the obvious, uh, one of the obvious uh, points to enable us resources to fight back and regain lost share. The other, the other purpose is, uh, you know, there's, there's some situations that are not, tariff-related uh, directly, but indirectly they are, and a good example is Japan. Uh, since we do not have a trade agreement, uh, and a lot of our competitors do through the CPTPP, you know, Australia today enjoys a 13% duty advantage vis-a-vis uh, where we're at into Japan. So while we're negotiating uh, with Japan for hopefully an ag trade agreement currently, uh, the purposes of these funds is to allow us more resources and other organizations more resources to uh, to go to go and, and fight back a little bit and uh, maintain our share where we can. So I think these are two key points, Mike, on what uh, these funds are meant for. And then a third, uh, probably a less obvious but equally important uh uh, purpose is to develop new markets, you know, in regions such as Central America and Africa, for example. So, in a nutshell, that's sort of what the intent is here. Well, $10 million is obviously a lot of money. When you're spreading it out over the entire globe and trying to develop markets, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it goes pretty quickly, and you have to be really careful and uh, make good decisions on how and where it's used. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we, we have a pretty broad base on both beef and pork that we're investing in. Uh, you know, the big markets, you know, China, Japan, Korea, some of our more established markets. But as I just mentioned, uh, you know, there there is a focus on some of these developing regions as well. But but this is one of the requirements uh, USDA is very clear on that they they want they want the uh, the money spent spent wisely and 
and and performing and, and providing a return on investment is part of the deal with USDA for all organizations. So something that we, we take very seriously as well. Do you put in requests for this money or or submit any uh, information? Or how does USDA make these decisions on where the money goes? Well, yeah, the original requests, uh, base requests, were put in uh, last November. And uh, there was actually two different uh, awards that were made, this being the second one. But, yeah, rest assured, the original request was very detailed. Uh, I don't remember the exact number of pages, but it was it was a large file with a lot of detail. And uh, I would say that there, there's a criteria that they follow. Um, you know, one is... Uh, uh, history of organizations in working with FAS. We we we've and uh, USDA. Uh, we've had a long history of working with the market access program, MAP program, for example. Um, and then uh, you know, more importantly, our history or track record of organizations working with FAS uh, on these programs. And uh, you know, we've been we're forty almost forty five years uh, in existence, and we've been working with this program for decades. Uh, uh, in various markets, uh, a lot of the ones that I just mentioned, you know, Korea, Japan, Mexico, China, et cetera. So I think uh, a lot of it has to do with track record and, and return on investment from previous programs. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, can you give us any update on the African swine fever in China and the other countries that it's spread to? Well, I think uh, we can continue to see, uh, you know, in key markets like China and Vietnam, um, you know, liquidation of the herd. Uh, exact numbers are hard to come by, but but it's it's very impactful. Um, so, you know, we we already see using China as an example, uh, you know, liquidation of hogs and. We've seen the hog market uh, in China bottom out, and uh, we, we've seen a severe trend upward on the hog price. Um, so, yeah, the, on the, the live hog side, the shortage is here and upon us. The meat side, not so much yet, because obviously they've liquidated and pulled hogs forward, and, and you know, supplies within China are still ample on pork, but uh, it's just a, a matter of time probably before... Uh, we see um, the meat shortage show up, and everyone's trying to guess when that is. And uh, you know, we, we know it's coming. We just don't know exactly when. But uh, so, from a from a market standpoint, um, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, with our trade, with our customers, uh, Japan customers, Korea customers, etc. Not to mention China customers. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next six to twelve months. But uh, we definitely anticipate that. Uh, at some point here, we will start seeing more of an evidence of uh, a shortage of uh, uh, pork products uh, in that region of the world. Which brings us the whole issue up of what will what share of that demand will the U.S. get? And uh, do we have any way of knowing? I mean, if the tariffs, if that issue is resolved and the tariffs were taken off, uh, do we have any idea what that could mean as far as U.S. Uh, meat sales into China. Well, I think um, I think you hit on a key point. The tariffs. Uh, if the tariffs come off, obviously we will be the U.S. will be a uh, primary uh, first choice of supply for a lot of pork products. Um, if they don't come off, uh, maybe not the first choice, but nevertheless, I think our business will increase even if the tariffs stay on. 
Uh, you know, maybe Europe is more of a first choice in that scenario. But, you know, it's all speculation, right? And I, th- I think as it becomes more evident when the meat, uh, the meat deficit starts to show in the marketplace, we'll probably get a much clearer picture of what China intends to do and, and uh, you know, what uh, the customers intend to do. Um, right now it's a little hard to say because, like I said, uh, there's still ample pork supply in China on the meat side. Uh, until that kind of clears out, uh, we probably won't really know. Meanwhile, from everything we hear, things are on track to get a deal done with Japan perhaps uh, as early as September. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, we're, we're hearing the same thing. I don't know on the exact time frame, but we're hearing that progress is being made. And, and uh, honestly, this is one of the key um, focuses for our organization. You know, for for the U.S. beef and pork industries, uh, number one value market by far little under $4 billion a year, um, absolutely the number one uh, focus, I think, that we have. Uh, we have several number one focuses, but none bigger than Japan, and uh, yeah, that's music to our ears if that can get done, uh, uh, not only on the beef side, as I mentioned earlier, with the duty differential, but it's also a real headwind on the pork side at the moment as well. So, yes, this would be great for the whole supply chain, including corn and soybean producers that are that are providing feed to the beef and pork industries as well. All right, Dan, uh, we'll be watching for that. And, uh, again, uh, thanks for the update. And interesting, we hear about, you know, money being awarded to different types of marketing programs. Always good to hear about how it's being used and uh, the impact that, uh, it, uh, that we see from it. So it's good to hear that uh, that work is going on around the world to develop these markets for our meat products. Thank you very much for the update. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Interesting, as he said, uh, the real demand, that in that growth in demand for meat in China hasn't really hit yet, uh, but it is uh, expected to come soon. And will the uh, tariffs get lifted so the U.S. is right at the top of the list for selling into uh, China? Or, as he said, even if they're not lifted, we'll still be selling more into there than we are right now. But uh, could be Europe would be at the top of the list if we don't get those tariffs taken off. So we'll keep an eye on that. A lot of questions still about the moving of these two research agencies from uh, Washington, D.C. to Kansas City. Who's going to go? Where are they going to get the replacements? And what does it mean for the research coming out of these agencies? We're going to talk with Joe Glauber former USDA chief economist. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And joining us now, Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Robert, good to talk with you on this National Hot Dog Day. Okay, what do you put on your hot dog? I'm simple. I'm just a relish guy. Just relish. Just relish. See, I, I'm I'm mustard, ketchup, and relish. And I know some people just can't understand ketchup on there. So you you don't go mustard or ketchup. What's up with that? Well, I like to like to be easy, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I put relish on mine, it winds up all over me usually. But uh, I figured you were the loaded dog guy, you know. But you're you're going well, basic, I, very simple. Yeah, I do like them all. Uh, Chicago's a little over the top for me, but um, I 
I will take a hot dog however it's handed. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. An easier tone in soybean futures on this Tuesday trading session. We've got minus signs and corn futures too, wheat futures in a bit of a mix an hour into the trading day. Corn and soybean development taking a nice little jump from last week's crop progress report, according to the numbers from USDA yesterday afternoon. 35% of corn was silking nationwide. That is still 31 points behind the five-year average. Corn condition estimated at 57% good to excellent was down just a point from a week ago. 40% of soybeans nationwide said to be blooming. That's 26 points behind the five-year average of 66%. Midwest weather highlights, dry conditions, or just a few light showers through Friday in the western Corn Belt. Eastern Corn Belt seeing dry conditions or just a few light showers Tuesday through Sunday. In corn futures, new crop December down a penny and three quarters an hour into Tuesday's session at 425. Soybeans, new crop November down six and three quarters at 899 a bushel. Minneapolis spring wheat, September a penny higher at 522 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, September down a penny and a quarter at 486. Kansas City, September down a penny at 428. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, the August contract is 35 cents higher at 108.80. Feeder cattle August down 60 cents at 141.57. Lean hog futures August up 97 at 84.20. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 58 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we continue to uh, watch the controversy over the move of the Economic Research Service and National Institute of Food and Agriculture from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City. That move is is underway, and uh, the question remains how many employees are going to make the move. It sounds like a lot will not. And then the other part of this is uh, the criticism of the administration, the uh, accusations 
that the administration is just trying to uh, change the institutions, the research institutions, because it doesn't like some of their findings, and which brings questions of what does the future hold? Uh, will this, how will this impact uh, the research being done by these agencies? I want to get some perspective on this from Joe Glauber, a senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Institute and former USDA chief economist. Joe, thank you for being with us. Um, what are your thoughts on this as the move now starts happening and uh, we we hear uh, you know, a, a large number of employees may not make that move, so there's recruiting of trying to re, you know, replace them. Uh, what are your thoughts on this transition as it starts taking place? Yeah, I think I think the transition is going to be a rough one. Um, uh, my understanding is about 170 employees were supposed to move to Kansas City, uh, and and then another roughly 75 to 80 were going to remain in in D.C. Of the 170, however, about a hundred of those have said they will not um, will not go to uh, Kansas City, which means they all effectively effectively resign from from federal government. Um, so those those positions will be lost. Um, it's a little unclear. I think when we get into the fall, I think the dust will have settled enough to know kind of who is really left uh, and where you know where those gaps uh, of of that will need to be filled uh, will be. Um, there's a lot of different uh, uh, areas that, that you know, ERS uh, helps on, things like farm income and uh, the, even the monthly WASDE reports. Um, at, at this point, I don't know sort of who individually who's staying and who's going, so it's a little hard to get that full picture. We know recruitment uh, of new employees is underway, um, and a lot has been made about that, that there, there are a lot of qualified people that can fill those positions, but some have said, well, but they don't have the experience, and there's, go- there's still going to be uh, a net loss, at least in the short term, uh, when that occurs. Do you agree with that or not? Yeah, I think in the short term, absolutely. It's hard to, hard to bring someone up, even, uh, you know, to bring them in to, say, contributing to a, a, a situation outlook work that it takes a little time uh i mean i it's not something that you'd say well gee you need 10 years there or anything like that it, it just takes time uh, hiring people takes time as i think anyone who runs a company knows uh and with federal government believe me it's even more complicated uh so it will take a little bit of time even uh, they'll have to identify those vacancies they'll have to prioritize which vacancies will be will be high, hired um you know, hopefully, hopefully, whatever transition uh, there is, it's a short one. Um, I, I think, you know, for the most part, I think the senior uh, analysts that who've been contributing to the World Ag Supply and Demand Estimates report are are will be in Washington. I doubt any of those will uh, move. Some of them are, are frankly near retirement age, so you may lose some anyway uh, through regular attrition. But um, I think you know the, it's just going to be a, uh, a rough transition. There will be a lot of people uh, trying to figure out uh, again which which position is to fill first. And and uh, and while there are a lot of qualified people, and I think over time, certainly uh, for some, Kansas City will be an attractive place to move. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to f- fill in those slots. 
We're talking with Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Institute and former USDA Chief Economist. Joe, in in today's world with the technology that we have, um, some have said, well, you could do this research wherever. I mean, whether you lived in Kansas City or Washington, D.C., what is the uh, dynamic of having people physically in the same location and the impact it has on the uh, on the research? Yeah, I, it, one thing I would say is I think having researchers together is a good thing. I mean, I, that is the, to have people located in the same place. Uh, there's a lot of synergies that um, uh, that occur. I, I know in my office we really didn't, when I was at USDA, we didn't allow very much telework, for example. I mean, we tried to uh, understand if someone was, you know, needed to be home for a certain reason, that was no problem. But I felt like there was a lot of stuff that goes on on the day-to-day stuff that it was important to have people in the same place. It's important for, you know, uh, our corn analysts to be talking to the soybean analysts and, and that sort of thing. Uh, can you do that all, you know, via telework, or could you do that in different locations? Absolutely you could, but it is easier, I think. And um, uh, and so I I'm actually one that thinks it is important to have them in the same location. I, you know, that, whether that's Kansas City or Washington, D.C., you know, the, the arguments to have people in Washington is just sort of the proximity to administrative data and, and proximity what, to what's going on in the rest of the department. Again, there's nothing magic about it, but, um, uh, uh, again, my, my feeling is having them all together as an agency is a helpful thing. Uh, just in the sense that they they learn a lot from each other, as well as uh, being able to relay what they're they're hearing from the outside world to each other. I think that's really important. So, we, if when we get to the point where it's all in Kansas City, and we figure out, you know, they have to get it restaffed, and say it gets back up to full staffed, and everything's going, and and it's in Kansas City, then there's still the bigger issue that's out there uh, that the administration is just trying to change what comes out of there because they haven't liked what's been coming out of the, in in recent years. Uh, do you buy into that argument, and do you think if that's the case, this really will change uh, the, the the research that comes out? Uh, no, I, I think it is important who's ever the administrator and who's ever the undersecretary, or you know, I guess it will continue to be the undersecretary for research, will be... Uh, their immediate supervisor. I mean, it's important for them to, to keep the objectivity, uh, ensure objectivity out of the group. I think the last thing you want is, um, uh, you know, analyses to be cooked or anything like that. You know, you want independent analysis, and you want, um, you know, I always felt that my role as chief economist oftentimes was telling the secretary when it was a bad idea and being upfront about it and having the evidence to back it. Um, I, I I think the the more damning thing probably is the the uh, I mean the, the real question is whether or not these these employees who are leaving now will be replaced. I think that's the the critical thing. The administration, as you probably know, has has in their last two budget um, uh, proposals uh, proposed to eliminate or to reduce ERS by about fifty percent in terms of this budget. You know, I hope that this what's happened with this attrition isn't the the de facto uh, you know budget cut they were looking for. Um, but 
But otherwise, you know, people, I worked there for 30 years, and people would criticize the IRS a lot over time and, and may not like one report or what they heard about it. But frankly, for me, I, I think that, that objective, objective reports coming out of the IRS are really important. And if they're not doing them, let me tell you, other groups will do those reports, and they will not necessarily be as objective. Uh, so you, you look at things like payment distributions or things like that. You know the groups out there that are more than happy to kind of come up with, with all sorts of wild reports. I think it's, it's a good thing to have uh, an objective group like ERS doing those. Finally, Joe, uh, Politico has been reporting that there, there, were, there was research done, reports uh, on climate change, and the administration uh, chose not to release them and uh, uh, kind of ignored them or buried them what were your what's your reaction to that do you, do you think that's the case uh, does that happen i i don't know if it's happened or not i think if it has happened i think it's unfortunate um uh, the, uh you know our usda in general has had very good analysis uh on climate in terms of what the effects of climate are on on you know, plant development uh, that's helped for or developing new uh, varieties. It's helped to, uh, to understand things like insurance programs, a whole variety of, of implications. I think that work is very, very important um, uh, one way or the other. And so I hope that's not the case. I, I know uh, some re- – I have seen some reports that have been out, uh, but, but whether or not they're stifling others, I don't know. All right, Joe. Well, thanks a lot. We'll continue to monitor this. I mean, I think it's a story that's uh, a lot of people, you know, haven't really watched that closely, but uh, it's uh, it certainly has a great impact on some important research that uh, maybe we take for granted that uh, will be done. And uh, it reminds us we shouldn't take these things for granted. So uh, appreciate your perspective yeah. on this, and we'll continue to stay in touch, okay? Oh, yep. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Joe. Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Institute, former USDA Chief Economist. So the, the move is is underway from D.C. to K.C. Uh, on these uh, uh, two research agencies, and we'll see how many make the move and how the recruitment for new employees uh, goes as they try to get that up and going and at, at full staffing in new location of Kansas City. All right, we'll continue with our crop reports from around the Midwest. We're going to go to the Eastern Corn Belt next. We'll check in the state of Ohio, Cy Prettyman Farm just north of Columbus, and we'll see how things are looking there. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? 
Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, <clears throat> me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 
18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, yesterday's crop report and crop condition numbers reminds us again of the, the crop being behind normal. Some places more than others, such as in the eastern Corn Belt. Let's go to the state of Ohio. Cy Prettyman joins us. He farms north of Columbus. Cy, good to talk with you again. How are things looking in your area? Well, things have improved since the last time we talked. We, uh, we finally got in the fields there in late June, was able to get some some crops in the ground. Uh, I still ended up with some prevent plant acres, and uh, we were able to get corn side dressed about that time. So things have changed a lot, a lot in the last couple of weeks. The late planted beans have really taken off. They're almost ready to canopy already, and, and the corn's turned around since we were able to finally get some nitrogen to it. And So it still hurts. Uh, still got a lot of unevenness. Um, you know, a lot of holes out there from, from water damage, things like that. But it looks uh, much improved to where it was uh, there coming into till the end of June. Um, so we're starting to see some crops that are some of the corn that got planted earlier and some of the better areas of the state is tasseling. And so it's it's progressing and uh, moving forward. Um, even this week, though, we had some heavy rains uh, that came through, three to six-inch rains just north of me. I didn't get any of any of that, that near that much, but... Uh, we're still having issues with flooding and some different things going on across the state. So things uh, have have improved, but they haven't really calmed down completely then. That, no, it doesn't seem like that. So there's still crops that are struggling, uh, still areas that are probably getting more rain than they need, other areas that, that probably aren't getting as much as they need. So it's it's been a challenging, uh, challenging weather-wise here as of late. So the race is on. Yeah, the race is on for everyone on on the crop this year to to see if it can make it to uh, to the finish line or not. Uh, if, when you look now, here we are, July twenty third, uh, and you when you think about what that would normally look like in your fields on July twenty third, you know that has to really yeah, jump out at you, right? How far behind you are, and you wonder you're looking at that calendar thinking, "Wow, are we going to make it or not?" Yeah, that's definitely on everybody's mind as to, you know, how's this, how's the rest of the summer going to treat us? How's early fall going to treat us? Are we going to, uh, you know, because things seem to be late in the spring, is are we going to get a little extra time in the growing season mm-hmm. in the fall? So everybody is concerned about that and, and whether we'll be able to finish this crop properly. You mentioned the rain, the heavy rain in parts of, of uh, Ohio. Uh, what about the heat wave that moved across uh, the country the last week or so? Uh, did you get a lot of that heat and humidity, and uh, did you see uh, the impact on the crop? Yeah, we sure did. We had plenty of heat, uh, plenty of humid weather there through the weekend. Uh, kind of broke last night. We had gotten some rain, uh, a little bit of rain ahead of that, uh, so that helped. But you could definitely see some stress in different areas. 
um, as I traveled across the state when I got into the some of the counties where we see a little bit more gravel underneath the soils and you can see those crops are definitely stressing uh, depending on what where they had been with rainfall heading into that that heat heat uh, high heat air time that we had what about weed control how's that going um it depends. So a lot of guys have been able to get in and get some stuff knocked down. Some of the prevent plant acres look really ugly right now still uh, where guys haven't gotten in and either sprayed or, or worked the ground down to get the weeds out. So uh, it's all over the board as far as, as what the crop's looking like from a weed control standpoint. Most of my crops are looking good there. Um, I was able to get a pre-emergence on the beans, so that's been holding them in pretty good shape. Uh, we're just getting to that point now. We're you know doing some scouting on them, seeing you know what's coming. What are we going to do next uh, uh, as far as weed control goes? But um, so this it really depends across the state as I see different different areas. We're talking with Cy Prettyman. He farms just north of Columbus, Ohio. Now you mentioned you had some prevent plant acres. Were there a lot of those acres in your area? Very varied across the county. So certain parts of the county seem to depending on, you know, where rain fell, we're able to get more in. But there is a decent amount even in our county. Um, it's quite a bit around, so guys are figuring out what they're going to do cover, cover crop-wise, uh, you know, when are we going to start planting those, uh, what are we going to use. Um, but there's a ton of acres when you start moving north and west from me. Um, the county's just to the west of me, and, and then moving further north, it gets, gets to be a lot more even than what we're seeing in our area. In our area, we've got guys that probably have got were able to get 100% of their crop planted, uh, some of which maybe they wish they wouldn't have. Uh, we've got guys that didn't plant anything, got zero acres planted, and you got everything in between. So you can see you see a lot when you when you get across the area. What about disease or insects? What are you seeing showing up? Uh, my wife and I were just she was just talking about that last night on insect wise and stuff. We really haven't seen a lot of pressure yet. Um, I was out looking at some of the corn, seeing, you know, what do we have coming disease-wise. So far, it's looking pretty clean. Um, hopefully, the hybrids that I've chosen are, are, are doing well from that standpoint, a tolerance standpoint. So I'm kind of kind of keeping an eye to see, you know, are we going to start getting some pressure? What do we need to do fungicide-wise? Of course, the beans are pretty immature at this point, um, you know, not seeing a lot on them. Some of the guys that are further south that have crops that are a little more mature, they may be be seeing some different things but i know guys are talking that they you know want to try to preserve what they have so if we start seeing disease in i think guys are still going to uh, try to apply fungicides and keep the plants as healthy as they can well Cy, good to catch up with you i know you've been busy and uh, glad to hear that uh, at least there's some improvement and uh, uh let's uh, hope that the, the weather cooperates the rest of the way for you thanks a lot thank you mike have a great day all right, take care, Cy. Cy Prettyman, he farms uh, just north of Columbus, Ohio. That eastern corn belt has really uh, uh, had a lot of challenges way behind, but as he said, uh, they, they have made some progress and starting to catch up. Uh, well, coming up uh, tomorrow, we're going to find out about uh, how crops look in uh, Decatur, Illinois, central Illinois, the site of the Farm Progress Show that's coming up at the end of next month. We're just a little over a month away now from the Farm Progress Show, and we'll get an update on the show, crop conditions uh, in central Illinois, and much more. That's coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.